Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. It is Thursday, the 18th of November. I want to um, bring someone onto your radar of awareness this morning. Her name is Ming Hongwei. She is, well, her husband, excuse me. Her husband is Ming Hongwei. The person at the center of this uh, conversation uh, is his wife, and she has spoken out publicly for the first time about the action of the Chinese government um, in relationship to her husband. And so um, this 35-year-old mother of twins is in what I will describe as uh, not just political protection uh, in France, but really under constant threat. She's under round-the-clock French police protection Um, as the Chinese government has attempted on occasion to kidnap her children and deliver her to the same fate as her husband. Um, Her name is Grace Meng, um, and she has what is being described, she's become what is being described as an outsider now looking in. Here's what's going on. Her husband used to run um, the Interpol office for the Communist Party. So we're talking about a senior member of the governing elite Uh, in China. And in 2018, for reasons that are still a bit mysterious, her husband fell into disfavor with the authoritarian government of China. um, And he has now basically been lost in their very corrupted um, criminal justice system, which I I shouldn't even call it that. But that so um, the last communication that she had uh, with her husband was on September 25th, 2018, while he was on a work trip to Beijing during uh, during which um, he disappeared. Um, the only thing that she received after that were uh, four emojis of a kitchen knife. Um, and so she is saying things like, um, I did not know these things about my government when I was a part of it. Now I know. She talks about her eyes being opened. She talks, uh, she talks with language of being reborn. She, she uses language of rebirth. She now sees the world, including her own country, in a completely different light. She talks about the light having dawned. Um, she's not a Christian. Let's be very, very clear. She has put herself at very great personal risk to shine a light on the evil that she now sees revealed. I mean, does, does this not sound to you like God shining a light um, on what is going on inside the Communist Party of China by using um, a very regular, ordinary 35-year-old mother of twins? So here's how I'm going to encourage us to pray today. Again, her name is Grace Ming. 
Uh, let us be praying that she becomes a literal force to be reckoned with. Um, let us pray that the world sides with her in shining a light on um, what's going on inside of the Communist Party in China. Let us pray for her husband. And let us pray for the Christians with whom he is very likely imprisoned. If you've ever wondered, why did all those Christians go to, China, go to prison in China? You know, who knows but that this might not be part of God's plan to redeem this one man who knows everybody um, in order that a nation might find itself uh, redeemed. And let us pray for the flourishing of the gospel under the tyranny of the Chinese Communist Party. Peter Kapsner is up next. He and I are going to talk about a range of headlines, including something that is going to make your skin crawl. I want you to imagine for a moment that there's an electrical storm, and the energy in the electrical storm is such that the earth, like, vibrates just enough that all the scorpions living just beneath the surface simultaneously emerge. Yeah. That's what's going on in Egypt. That story up next. And he is going to affirm for us that the 10 plagues described in ancient Egypt in the Old Testament are now confirmed <laughs> by the emergence of a plague of scorpions in Egypt today. Hey, yeah. good morning. Hey, good morning. And you're, you're, you're so right about that. For those people that in the last maybe 30 years have, have fallen under the spell of what's called biblical literary criticism, assuming that the stories of the Old Testament are fables at best, maybe can teach us some theological points, but there weren't actually frogs and gnats and blood and all the other stuff. Your point, I couldn't put on my shoes hardly this morning, Carmen. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I know that there are no scorpions in the state of Minnesota. Like, I know that <laughs> cognitively, and that does not matter, nor will it matter for the next six months when I'm putting on my boots in the snow. There's for sure going to be these fat-tailed scorpions in my boots. It was horrifying. This was just absolutely horrifying. All right, let me just read this. Extreme weather forced snakes and scorpions out of their nests. First of all, that they have nests grosses me out. It does, in indeed. southern Egypt. <laughs> At least 450 people were injured, which, you know, Reed stung. Three people died of scorpion stings. Um, doctors were reportedly diverted from COVID-19 vaccination centers to treat sting victims. Extreme weather in Egypt uh, brought out a swarm of scorpions, resulting in uh, these hundreds of people in this one southern city of Aswan uh, being stung. So I'm just, I just let's just say, I mean, like they closed schools, they yeah. closed roads. Now, there was also heavy rain, hail, dust storms near the Nile River, which uh, this is what forced the scorpions and the snakes um, out of the ground and into the uh, populace. So, yeah, they are known as the fat-tailed scorpion, not to be confused with whatever kind of species of scorpion there might 
otherwise be. Do we really need to distinguish them? They, they seem all bad. Like, un, under no circumstances <laughs> do I need to meet a scorpion. But this one's specifically from the Greek, and I cannot say it. It, it literally means man-killer, and the venom from mm. a black, fat-tailed scorpion can kill humans in under an hour. So, And you just rattled off. It seemed like they had about six or seven plagues all at once. It has to be horrible. I just You think about being in Egypt, it has to be horrible right now today. I can't even imagine. All right, so my friend Jessica just returned from Egypt, and I just got a text message from her that she's landed back in Atlanta. So we're going to get a report. My <laughs> guess is that this was not nationwide, right? This was a sure, this a an isolated yes, event. Indeed. And so maybe when we think about the plagues in the Old Testament, that's one of the things that we should think about, except there's this language of like all the firstborn in Egypt, all. There's the, right. there's the language of all when we talk about um, the Old Testament and uh, and the 10 plagues of Egypt. So... Um, so there you go. What was God doing during the plague of blood and frogs and yeah, I don't I'm, know, lice and dead livestock and boils and what was God doing? Yeah, I think uh, clearly stripping Pharaoh of his illusory power. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. Pharaoh was holding the power over Israel, and and it th- there was a sense of of mockery at, at that point. Uh, you know, let's let's see who really is in charge here, and uh, and so those signs and wonders were meant to show both the people of Egypt and the people of Israel, that, that uh, Yahweh really was the God of all. And, and this is what he promised Moses when Moses was a shepherd and, and, and saw the burning bush. And, and God said, I will be with you. I will go with you. These signs and wonders, I mean, they have theological points, all of them do, do too. But I think in light of this story this, this morning, to take the Bible literally does matter too. These events actually did happen. And oh boy, I can't even imagine what Egypt was like in that time. Okay, um, now I think we need to have a conversation with you about a headline um, that I read yesterday and a listener <laughs> from the Caps Nerds. Right. Is that what we're calling ten, your people now? All, all 10 of us. You know, the, the Twitter's coming. You know that, Carmen. Mm-hmm. We talk about it. It's coming. So, yes, all 10 so, of us. So one, one of the people who knows that you join us every Thursday <clears throat> asked, did People Magazine reach out to Peter and Peter declined? This is in relationship to the announcement of the sexiest man alive in 2021. So we're going to have that conversation up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble When you're perfect in every way The headline from People is that Paul Rudd is People's 2021 Sexiest Man Alive uh, Paul Rudd, I think, has taken it um, in very humorous stride. Um, and I just thought, along with the Caps nerds who are asking the question, <laughs> Peter, did you pass on this honor? Yeah, well, I didn't want to bring it up this morning, Carmen, because you know to me, me to be a, a person of significant and profound gifted humility. And so I don't like to talk about myself in those ways. But yeah, I mean, everybody else is playing for second year in and year out. So I decided this was the year that kind of quietly I was going to just go ahead and give it up. And I thought I really like this dude in Ant-Man. And, uh, and he seems like he would be a decent candidate. And again, it's more of a conservatorship, kind of like Britney Spears. He doesn't actually hold the title. He's just keeping it for me, for when I rightly take it back Uh, next year. Absolutely. All right. So the reason that, you know, I even bring silly headlines like this up is because the world actually is talking about such things. And uh, from a Christian worldview, right, we're not actually gauging or rating those around us um, by this kind of category. Um, I don't even know how one would do such a thing. Um, But when we talk about having a crush or when Mm. we talk about appreciating other people for certain attributes, 
you know, there's just this very thin line, I think, um, between crust, crush and lust. And so yeah. I think that's worthy of pointing out. Um, and there's just also this, uh, you know, this appreciation for others that's important. So, you know, draw, help us draw some of those lines. Yeah. I, well, I think among the things that uh, we could say about it, first of all, is that when we're making these evaluations and, and we sort of privilege physical beauty in, in terms of the, um, I don't know how to say it. it, it's a relative beauty. Because if you go to different cultures and different continents and different countries, you'll find different standards for beauty, number one. And so that should probably tell us something that uh, that beauty is a little bit more in the eye of the beholder, as the old saying would go. But the second thing is just that we value it so much. I mean, the biblical witness is that our outer person is is decaying. It's, it's wasting away, but our inner person is to be renewed day by day. And so it's interesting that you could fix this, this sort of honor upon somebody who in, in for by different criteria is seen as the sexiest person or the most attractive person or whatever, when that is all a fading criteria, it, it may be there for a bit, but boy, it becomes idolatrous so fast. So I think that's the first thing that maybe we could wonder about is why do we have such an idolatry and why do we spend so many billions of dollars trying to make ourselves look good by those very relative to Western society metrics. I think that's one conversation. But the second thing, too, is uh, there is a beauty in the biblical text, and, and I think it's helpful to know that beauty has to do with the complexity of design. It has to do with the depth and the inexhaustibility of God that does get manifested in creation. And so his human beings are beautiful in that sense because we are these these complex image bearers. And, and there is this wonder that is meant to point then at the beauty and wonder of God. So when we see things as beautiful around us, maybe the ecosystems of this world that are still, you know, the trees of the field are, are clapping their hands, but they're, they're still groaning for their release as well. All of creation is, but, but we do and can intuit the beauty and wonder of God through the beauty of creation, both the, the ecosystems around us, but in one another as well. And so you don't, to lust is to somehow possess it, to, to want it, to grab after it, like what they did at the, at the tree of Genesis 3, but to simply sit in appreciation of and to see through lenses of biblical beauty the wonder that's all around us, I think that's a tremendous discipline, and, and I think it's an act of worship at the end of the day. Hmm. All right, Peter, there's a great redemption story unfolding in the state of Wyoming. We, um, we have been talking over time about the need for criminal justice reform. Yeah. Um, what does it look like for those who are incarcerated to actually have an opportunity to be redeemed as opposed to just punished? Um, what does it actually look like for that to be a transformative time in life to learn things um, that they very likely didn't learn um, when they were growing up uh, as children? And so um, tell people what's going on uh, at the Wyoming Honor Farm and how people are being transformed. Yeah, I love it. They're pulling uh, primarily men in this case out of these uh, minimum security prisons and, and having them become ranchers. I, I suppose there's no other term for it than that they learn how to work the land and they learn how to take care of the livestock and the horses and they live on the site of it. And, and they are given tasks and, tasks and jobs and responsibilities. And, and in that, I think, Carmen, comes an intrinsic value that they begin to experience as a human being. I was very much captured by the part of the story that talked about so many of these men are going from a sense of worthlessness in their life to a sense of, uh, of worth and accomplishment. And then that begins to spiral in a virtuous way upwards of saying, so I do have something to bring into this world. I do have something that I can give back. I do have something 
that matters. And and I think going from that sense of hopelessness or valuelessness or self-worthlessness uh, into what these tasks of just working the land. I mean, you and I have talked over the years about the importance of getting your hands dirty in the land. It gives you a sense of, of accomplishment and worth. And and in this epidemic of fatherlessness that we live in in our country, where so often psychologically, spiritually, and relationally, fathers are helping bring a certain version of self-worth to their children through accomplishment and tasks and, and teaching certain things. This is the way the world has worked for a long time, but but we haven't been able to be in that as a society for the better part of two, maybe three generations. So I, the, the recidivism rate coming out of these ranches is next to none because they're they're not just doing their time and whiling away the hours, but still coming out feeling maybe even more worthless than they did when they went into prison. They're actually building the kind of character that begins to be sustainable moving forward. I, I don't know how replicatable this is. I was trying to think about that this morning in terms of how many ranches you could have, or are there other ways in which you could uh, bring people into engagement in the land and, and teach them um, how, that, that their life actually does matter at the end of the day and, and what that means then moving forward. So it was a pretty fascinating article. Yeah, and that work has dignity right. and that, you know, even wild things can come into, um, you know, the kind of joyful submission that a wild horse comes into over time. I like, I appreciate that they don't talk about breaking a horse's spirit. That's yeah. just not part of what they're doing because that translates into, you know, how how are we going to use this system to break your spirit, right? It's more about... Um, building trust over a long period of time. They also, um, they raise a lot of other uh, livestock, um, or they raise livestock on um, on this ranch or this farm as well. It's interesting to me, Peter, this actually started um, 116 years ago now in terms of the government setting aside land where um, where inmates would go and, and work, uh, work, I mean, that, that's what was yeah. going on initially. And it's just it, it's grown and developed over time. And I just wanted to highlight it. So if you guys are looking for it, um, it is called the Wyoming Honor Farm. Um, definitely worth checking out. I was reading about it from an article in the Deseret News. All right, Peter, we um, we have scant moments left. And during the scant moments we have left, you and I are being tasked with um, a happy birthday greeting on behalf of one of our listeners who missed her best friend's birthday on October the 27th. Oh, dear. So, I know. <laughs> I know. So, I don't know. We're going to have to do a really admirable um, job here saying happy birthday in some extraordinary way to Victoria Yaka, who is listening right now. So, I will say happy birthday to Victoria, and Peter will do something more than say happy birthday. <laughs> well, I'm not going to sing. Let's be clear about that. I have never even found a note in my life, so I have absolutely no idea. But I think what we could do on behalf of Faith Radio is maybe we could send uh, Victoria a horse to, to break properly uh, moving forward. So I know I don't have any pull around here, but Carmen, I would suggest getting with the station management and say, Let, let's get oh Victoria. When you miss a birthday, you need some sort of big makeup event. And I would say a horse mm. would do it for sure. Mm. Yeah. So for the friend who texted in that they had missed the friend's birthday. Oh, dear. I get it. Um, apparently it's going to be a horse, of course. Of all course. right. So that is uh, all the time we have for our conversation with Peter Kapsner. But we do love you. Thank you for joining us. Um, and, you know, and thank you for setting aside the opportunity to be on the, the cover of People magazine celebrated by the world. And instead, just joining us right here on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, for sure. But the mantle's mine again next year, Carmen. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> what could be better? <laughs> All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Happy 
All right, uh, let's talk about how we raise our kids. Let's talk about what comes to mind when we think about parenting and particularly how we teach our kids virtue. What is virtue? What are the virtues? How um, in our families are we teaching godly virtues to our children and to our grandchildren? Well, we're going to get a little help on that from our next guest, Ariel and Michael Tyson. Yeah, you might be familiar with them. A lot of people follow them on Instagram and TikTok. The Tyson family is big. It's boisterous. It's full of boys. And today we're talking with Ariel and Michael about their book, Jack and the Fantastical Circus. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. This is Max Lucado. Goodness and severity. We can't take one and disregard the other. God is good, yet he is also severe. God's kindness, often mentioned. His forgiveness, the theme of many sermons. Hymns that herald his mercy, too many to count. But songs that acknowledge his wrath, that look forward to the day of retribution, not so many. Out of curiosity, I compared the number of scripture references on the two topics. God's wrath is mentioned more than 150 times. His mercy, 32 times. To be sure, it is right to declare God's goodness, but it is a mistake to dismiss God's justice. He is gracious to those who trust him, but he is serious about punishing those who dismiss him. What a joy to have Ariel and Michael Tyson joining us today. If you're not already following them on Instagram and TikTok, you're not doing it right. So there you go. Um, I'm going to invite you to find Ariel at Ariel C. Tyson on Instagram. And from there, you can find all their other social medias. They're here to talk with us today about their new children's book, Jack and the Fantastical Circus. Ariel and Michael, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. We're glad to be with you today. All right. I feel like um, as parents of of six, soon to be seven, you know a lot about the circus. <laughs> that is absolutely true. So I let's do this. Just introduce us to Jack. All right. Well, Jack is a little boy similar to several of my boys' ages, and he is on a train ride with his dad going to visit his grandpa who was formerly a part of the circus and has lots of stories about that. And so we open up the scene and he's on the train ride and um, chatting with his dad as he's getting very, very sleepy. One of the things that we wanted to do in this book was to show a father figure and a grandfather figure in a good light and as somebody to be respected and honored and somebody to learn from. And so through this book, um, from at the beginning and at the end, you see that honor and respect grow in Jack for his, his dad and his grandpa. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of one of the underlying themes that you don't necessarily pick up on. It's not written into the story, but it's definitely a big part of the story, especially to me. Um, that was something that was really 
important to me to convey was the importance of a father figure. And I think that as a dad might be reading this to his kids, he might pick up on that. Yeah, absolutely. Also, just, you know, had the sense that there's a sweetness um, in the relationship. And I, I just think that any time that we can highlight that um, in a positive way, generation to generation uh, among men in the culture, that's just just so positive. Ariel, you alluded to the um, to the idea that Jack is, you know, similar in age to some of your boys. I'm also wondering if he is similar in character. <laughs> Absolutely. He is very curious. Um, he's always asking questions, and that is definitely how my boys are. Um, and obviously imaginative and starts dreaming about the circus and all the different characters and then learns so much through that. And one of the big things that we wanted to incorporate is that anybody could read this book with their kids, their grandkids, nephews, nieces, um, so that it really connects family together really well. All right. We're talking about Jack and the Fantastical Circus. Um Maybe, um, Michael, I'll tee this question up for you. I mean, who doesn't love a train, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what happens as Jack moves through the cars of the fantastical circus train? Well, um, Jack is on a train for real in the book, but then he falls in into a dream. And in his dream, he's still on a train, but it's a fantastical circus train. And each one of the train cars that he goes into is a new circus performer. But that circus performer is demonstrating a virtue that any person can develop and should develop and should try to work on. And a lot of the characters, we pointed out virtues that people might not initially consider for that character Um, and things that maybe you don't see as important. Like one of my favorite characters is um, the strongman, Zarif. And there's a lot of virtues that you could point out for somebody who's the world's strongest man. But the one that we chose to point out was um, commitment and Mm -hmm. just being consistent and staying with it, doing something every day. Faithfulness is a part of that commitment. And that's how you grow strong. And that's how you get the virtue. I mean, that is the virtue. Commitment is the virtue. And as you grow in that, you get stronger. You get stronger in your faith. You get stronger in your relationships. As you're committed to a relationship and your commitment is every day, every hour, whether it's uh, committed to your relationship with God and um, or you're co- committed to your relationship with your friends or your spouse, commitment is what builds strength. I love the focus on training children up, um, growing them up um, in virtue um, Ariel, I'm, I'm also just really appreciative of um, the whimsy that takes place. I mean, it's, it's, it's very whimsical. Um, imagination is, um, is celebrated here. Can you, can you talk about uh, a little bit about both of those? Like you're celebrating here or exploring imagination, but also, also you know, we're, we're doing this story for a purpose. There's a, there's a purpose behind this. Oh, yeah. So when we first, um, our illustrator was first shown to us, Mary Manning, we just couldn't believe how much she made 
our idea in our head of the imagination and the whimsical side of it come alive because while we're teaching things like virtues and all of the different virtues that both family, you know, parents, kids, grandparents, anybody can learn from, it's also super exciting and um, beautiful and the kids are really drawn to it. So I think that is a key in all of this is that, hey, when you're doing the right thing, it doesn't have to be boring. It can be fun and exciting and you can learn and grow and do big things through it. And so Michael mentioned one of his favorite characters. Uh, mine is Frank and Farah. I would say they mm. are the trapeze artists. They're flying trapeze artists. And they talk about faith. And sometimes people say, well, you know, building up faith in the next generation or kids, you know, it's just so boring and um, not exciting. And I just love how they take it. And they're like, hey, we had to have faith in order to do this. It's not just about the practice. It's about actually instilling the virtue of faith in us. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, who, yeah, you'd have to have faith to uh, perform on a flying trapeze. I mean, there's just no question about yeah. that. That's absolutely yeah. right. All right. I want to talk with you after a very brief break about um, what it looks like to grow in virtue like a muscle, because Michael, I know that's something that you've made comment on. So we're going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ariel and Michael Tyson, we're talking about their new book, Jack and the Fantastical Circus. You can also follow them on Instagram at Ariel C. Tyson, which is a really fun follow. We'll be right back. This is amazing this is love. All right, picking up where we left off in our conversation with Ariel and Michael Tyson. They are the parents of six soon-to-be Seven. We're going to talk about that in just a second. You can follow them on Instagram at Ariel C. Tyson and TikTok. And pretty sure Michael's got a YouTube um, channel as well. Michael, let's start uh, with you. Talk about uh, growing in virtue like a muscle when we consider what's going on in Jack and the Fantastical Circus. One of the struggles for people are the same struggles that they've had as a kid. They just hide it differently when they become adults. And we say, well, I'm not good at mercy or I'm not good at forgiving someone or I never follow through on my commitments. Well, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can grow in those, those virtues. And we believe that virtue is based in genuine deep-seated belief, which brings action and belief in God specifically. But virtue is something that you have to exercise. Um, the Bible speaks to that in, in that when we face trials, that God's trying to produce something in our life and to endure and persevere. And so when we talk about virtues and we're trying to communicate to a child, uh, we're trying to demonstrate a picture of the importance of developing and growing that virtue. And so we tried to put a, a picture, a literal picture, with something that can be developed out of that. Um, a couple of the things that we've talked about already, but some other things would be focus. How do you, how do you focus? We don't dive too much into the how, but why? So mm -hmm. that you can accomplish something that you couldn't accomplish unless you focus. We talked about that with the juggler. 
and how he focuses on the apex. He doesn't focus on all the balls he's juggling. He focuses on one specific spot in order to accomplish this amazing thing. So in life, when we're trying to accomplish amazing things and we're possibly distracted by so many different things, the only way to accomplish that great thing is to focus. And our That's focus, right. faith, our commitment, um, our courage, all of those things that we call virtue, we can grow in, we can develop, we can um, get more of. And the way to do it is to exercise it. So when, yeah, even just... if you, you don't have mercy, the way that you get mercy is by exercising it, <laughs> practicing. That's exactly right. Yeah. I just, I love it. I love, um, I love how you introduce us to characters and then to the characteristics um, of virtue um, and how they grow and how they express those different virtues. Um, it's its just lovely. All right. So that is uh, Jack and the Fantastical Circus. Beyond the book, um, Ariel, what's God doing in your life right now? God has grown me a lot. Um, we moved recently from Montana to Tennessee in July. Um, Michael ended up in the hospital with viral meningitis five days after we moved. Hmm. And I am obviously pregnant with our seventh baby nearing the end here. And so <laughs> I've had to rely on God a, a whole, whole lot recently. Um, and then just, you know, adjusting kids to a move and adjusting kids to a new place and new friends and a new church and um, a new homeschool group. So for me, it's taking a lot of, okay, God, what do you want me to learn today? What do you want me to teach my kids today? Where do you want me to grow? Um, because my easy going kind of, this is how everything is life changed this summer. Mm. Well, we're going to, um, tee each and every single one of those, um, concerns up <laughs> in prayer. Um, I know that, you know, the world started paying attention to you guys a, a while back, and even as your family has grown. And this seventh child, um, you know, you, you've gotten some criticism, and I've appreciated the way you've answered those critics. Can you just talk about the gift of children and how you have answered the the critics, um, you know, who have had all kinds of things to say um, yes. about somebody having a seventh baby? Yes, um, absolutely. Actually, probably was a year or two ago, I said to Michael, you know, I feel like God is really telling me that on my social platform, I need to share more specifically about how we're raising not only at that time, I think it was five kids, but five boys specifically. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of moms reaching out to me that had, you know, all of the same gender kids or just a lot of kids and they were getting a lot of negativity and they were feeling really down about it, even just from family and friends. And so I was counseling them and walking them through that. And I just realized I needed to make my platform a little more bold about that. Um, before that I had just, you know, shared some things that were my favorite things, but not really di dive deep into what it means to be raising up um, kids for Jesus, but also a lot of kids. So for me, um, answering the criticisms, 
I don't always do that perfectly. And Michael could tell you that. <laughs> There's a lot of times we wish that we could create burner accounts to say what we really want to say. <laughs> but we never have. Never. Right. No. But um, really, I just I try to focus on speaking to the blessings and encouraging people that kids are blessings instead of Amen. speaking to the negativity of it and to the people who are choosing to be negative and to tell me that, you know, we need to use more birth control or stop having kids. I just choose to speak to I always think about the people in my mind that want to know more about why kids are blessings or the people who do have a lot of kids and are getting the negativity. So I try to focus on those people when I am um, writing captions, when I'm recording videos, when we're doing our YouTube or our TikTok. I would say that would be my main focus. Yeah. So um, you guys were church planters. Um, are you still doing that now in your new location? I'm not I'm pastoring a church that's over 75 years old. So wow. that, yeah, it's a, another major change for us because that's huge. Uh, most of my ministry, I've been in vocational ministry 15 years and uh, been preaching longer than that, uh, almost 20 years. But almost all my vocational ministry has been in church plants. And so this is a a new learning experience for me. And um, a lot of different challenges and a lot of uh, different easy things, too. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's another one of the huge changes that we've gone through in the last several months as a family is mm -hmm. exiting for now out of um, church planting and into um a very different, but in a lot of ways, similar role as well. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Um, can we pray for you guys? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Father, thank you for um, this precious brother and sister in Christ, uh, Michael and Ariel. Thank you for um, all of their kids. Thank you for um, this healthy pregnancy and this delivery of of a new child into the world. Father, we ask your hand of blessing upon them as they shepherd a congregation, um, as they shepherd these uh, these children, and Father, as they shine as lights uh, in this generation. So thank you for them. Um, I would just ask that you would continue to strengthen their marriage and continue to inspire them to allow their family um, to be a bright witness of your grace, your love, your sufficiency, your provision, your goodness um, in the world that you so love. In Jesus' name, amen. Ariel and Michael, amen. thank you so much for being with us. Um, the book is Jack and the Fantastical Circus, and you can find the Tysons um, on Instagram. You can find them on TikTok. You can find them on YouTube. I think the easiest place is to just follow Ariel um, on Instagram at Ariel C. Tyson. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, in the spirit of it's almost Friday, and therefore there is going to be a Friday Farm Report, but also in the spirit that today is a day in which Mickey Mouse is going to at least be 
in the headlines and conversations somewhere in some places because this was his like debut on the scene, although not as Mickey Mouse. But um, so here's the big question in the Mickey Mouse, you know, sort of constellation of characters is Goofy a dog or a cow? This seems like the maybe one of the more important Mickey Mouse Disney related debates. So I'd like to know, I'd like to have your input on this. Is Mickey, uh, I mean, is uh, Goofy a dog or a cow? You can text me at 877-933-2484. You can hit me up on all the social medias. Or you can, um, yeah, let's just do it that way. Because we, you know, we can't have a call-in segment, although that would be really fun. An open debate about is Goofy a dog or a cow? Also, we could have a huge conversation about the anthropomorphism of animals um, when we talk about Disney characters, right? So, I mean, you know, why do we feel such affection for things that are drawn on paper and have human qualities? Hmm. All kinds of considerations for today. All right. That's all we've got time for today. Is Goofy really a dog or a cow? Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.